Wisdom cries out in the street. In the square, she raises her voice. At the busiest corner, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. Proverbs chapter 1, verses 20 to 21. Hey everybody, I'm Chris Dowd. And I'm Reagan Gilliland. And this is Off Script, a podcast where every week we take a deeper dive on last Sunday's sermon, talk about the theology behind it, and get a chance to explore anything that ended up on the cutting room floor. This is week two of our Why Church series, and I preached on a passage from Proverbs, and uh, it's good to be with you. Yeah. Okay, so tell us the title of your <laughs> sermon and what were some other options of your title. <laughs> well, the one I went with... It just came to me, so it had to have been the Holy Spirit. Okay. It's from the text. Scoffers, fools, and the wisdom of God. Okay. Did you have any other ideas? I did not. I just feel like you missed an opportunity to... Really? To be like, I pity the fool. <laughs> like Mr. T. I just feel like any time you talk about that, huh. you just, I pity. That's pity good. Yeah? Well, I mean... If Mr. T was a woman, yeah, like woman wisdom is pretty sassy yeah. in Proverbs 1. Totally sassy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> pretty grumpy. And I, so I spent obviously the whole week with the text. Yeah. And it wasn't until uh, after I'd finished the reading at the first service on Sunday <laughs> that I thought, oh my gosh, that's kind of a, she's a, most of that's pretty negative actually. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So it was verses 20 to 23. And they're just a couple of things, really. And you really have to work hard to pull out the positive. I'm generally a pretty positive person. So, anyway. Okay. I've never used the word fool as much as I did in that sermon. <laughs> not, it's not in my go-to. Yeah. No. Yeah, you don't really say fool or mm -mm. foolish. No, but it's also a good word, foolish. Yeah. Okay. So, you uh, kind of started off by reading a definition of, uh, definition of wisdom. Yeah. Can you read that quote? Yeah. Yeah. It was kind of a longer one. It was. I heard it three times. I was like, I don't, that's, that's too long. I don't know what it's trying to say. Hmm. Yeah. I gave you a hard time about a long quote in one year. I know. Recently. And it was much longer than this one. So <laughs> it's fine. Okay. It's funny because I thought about that as I was reading it in one of the services. I thought, yeah, I gave Reagan a hard time about a long quote in a sermon. This is a pretty long one. It's not that long. It's a mouthful though. So it's it from, um, uh, Old Testament Wisdom and Introduction by James Crenshaw. That was the our kind of introductory text to wisdom literature in, in seminary. And uh, it is a definition of wisdom that reads thusly, the reasoned search for specific ways to ensure personal well-being in everyday life. That's very Pauline. That could have been shorter. To make sense of extreme adversity and vexing anomalies. Mm -hmm. That's where and, you lost me. <laughs> and, trans, and to transmit this hard-earned knowledge so that successive generations will embody it. So then I took that longer quote and then kind of summarized it. So it's about uh, spiritual well-being, obviously, spiritual resilience. That's the whole vexing anomalies thing. About trying to figure out uh, how to live a life pleasing to God and then how, how to figure out um, or how to pass down that, that wisdom to the next generation. Okay. It's very practical. Wisdom literature is very practical. Oh, yes, for sure. 
which is why the vexing just threw me off. Mm. I got hung up on that word every time you said it. I was like, vexing. I don't think I've ever said that word in a sentence in my life. Well, this was probably an assigned reading when you were in seminary. Uh, So you've at least read it. Well, it's been a while. Because you had Heller? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we probably had the same. Yeah. Well, somehow my brain. You know what? Roy needs to be listening to this podcast as much as we talk about him. (laughs) I know. And he'll be like, oh, why did I give Reagan a good grade? (laughs) Clearly she did not pay attention. (laughs) So... There's that. Um, okay. So let's talk about Proverbs. Do you like this book? Why or why not? Um, do you go to it a lot? Do you like to preach from it? Let's talk about it. Yeah. I w- I'm not sure how many. I, it's a good question all these years. How many times have I preached on Proverbs? Probably just a couple times. This is in the lectionary. So it, you know it's recommended every mm-hmm. three years. Um, but this is not the section that people normally think of as Proverbs because people normally think of the kind of the one-liners. Mm-hmm. Um and much of Proverbs, when you read it, like, in, so in my devotional reading, you know, I read the, the Bible most days and, um, I've done it a couple of different ways, recommended readings for the old Testament and new Testament every day. And then a couple of times just reading it straight through. And when you read it straight through and you get to Proverbs, it, it bogs down because it's, you know, trying to read two chapters of Proverbs in that section where it's all these pithy statements mm-hmm. is just hard to process. So, um, yeah, I mean, Proverbs, it's good. It, it's better for page a day calendar yeah. <laughs> material or, probably than or tattoo and in, tattoo inspiration. I feel like a lot of people have tattoos. Interesting. Uh, okay. I wouldn't have gone there, but maybe. No. Huh. Do you know someone with a Proverbs tattoo? I'll try and think. I don't know if I know one personally, but I feel like a lot of, um, I feel like I've seen them. Hmm. Yeah. Well, here, I'll just turn randomly. Let's see. Like this one. Uh, oh, wait, no, I can't go there. Jeez, that's... Oh, sorry. That was Song of Solomon. I turned too far. <laughs> I was like, Ooh, oh, my gosh. That's a... Um, wealth brings many friends, but the poor are left friendless. Yikes. Oh, that's sad. Mm, not a good tattoo. Good. That's when you get a tattoo and you're real sad. <laughs> Jesus would not have had that tattoo. Um, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. Mm, sounds hmm. really metal. <laughs> I feel like there's some from like Proverbs 4. Okay. I think that's coming on my mind. Is that better? Okay. I think so. He who finds a wife finds a good thing <laughs> and obtains favor from the Lord. Yeah. So, I, you know, it's. I think Proverbs is probably hit or miss. Hit or miss. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. You know, I, I like Proverbs, but I'm with you where like you do feel like you're just reading a bunch of um, Bed Bath & Beyond signs over <laughs> and over again a little bit. <laughs> You know, you're like, uh huh, yep, yeah. Or Ma- mass produced, uh, mass produced, mass produced decor, decor. Just like <laughs> sorry. Stephanie, Stephanie said, uh, fortune cookies. Yes. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, but that's not at all the section we were in. No, no. So uh, we were in the section where woman wisdom is t- is talking, and so I guess you got a couple questions about yeah the personification of wisdom. But, but yeah, you can go, you can go for it. So, um. It, both wisdom and folly are personified as women in the text, but we think mostly of wisdom being personified as a woman. Mm-hmm. And when uh, what ended up on the cutting room floor, I didn't have time to get into it, was when there there are places in the Gospels where Jesus seems to, seems to be kind of um, identifying with woman wisdom, which is kind of fun. Mm-hmm. So in in Greek, wisdom is Sophia. So mm-hmm. in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, which is the one um, that was kind of popular in the first century, this would have been Sophia. So Sophia says this. Sophia mm-hmm. says that. And it's interesting because uh, in this section, 
as the personification, like uh, wisdom, the wisdom of God. So this divine attribute is personified as a woman and speak and seems to speak on her own authority, which is kind of interesting. Yeah. It's not thus says the Lord or whatever. Uh, she's speaking on her own. So anytime you're looking in scripture for a, a kind of counter patriarchal narrative, going to woman wisdom is pretty, mm-hmm. is a pretty powerful thing. The downside is she's kind of grumpy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it is interesting that she's the wisdom and then she's female. This is the folly too, mm-hmm. but, um, so it's different than, the Holy Spirit, this woman wisdom, or is there any like? Do people ever try to compare those? Mm, I don't so. Okay, I'm just curious. Yeah. Now, so in um, because sometimes the Holy Spirit is kind of thought as sometimes feminine, like some people not oh, yeah. all, you yeah. know. So yeah. I don't know if there was any sort of crossover. That's all. Yeah. Uh, well, no, I don't think so because, uh, well, that's kind of complicated. <laughs> so if if you're a Christian identifying kind of feminine attributes of God, mm-hmm. then you could certainly see a connection. Like if you, if you think of, if you speak of the Holy Spirit as she, which mm-hmm. some theologians do, um, that makes some people yeah. uncomfortable, uh, uncomfortable, <laughs> yeah. but that's, you know, whatever God's genderless, right? Yeah. Or God's both gendered. I mean, there's a whole conversation there. Then, ha- then having the connection to the personification of God's wisdom being female, mm-hmm. uh, I, you could draw that comparison, I guess. Okay. But the, the author wouldn't have seen it that way, clearly. Okay. And then you mentioned that Jesus sometimes, uh, what did you say, lean, mm-hmm. leans into the woman wisdom? Or what did you Kind say? of identify. So, Do you uh, have an example of that? Yeah. Okay. So the very famous passage in Matthew, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Mm-hmm. My yoke is, uh, my burden is, see, how's that, how's that phrase go from Matthew? My, my yoke, yoke is, is light or whatever. Yeah. The... The yoke imagery is is closely associated with wisdom okay. in the wisdom literature. And so there are scholars who would say that as a Jewish rabbi, as someone who was familiar with that tradition, deeply familiar with that tradition, um, that's a pretty strong identification with what in the Hebrew tradition is a female, has a female association. Okay. All right. I didn't know and that. And then where I thought you might be going. So in the, in the prologue to John's gospel, in the beginning was the word and the word was God. And the word was with God. Lagos. Logos, L-O-G-O-S, um, means word, but there are some kind of philosophical connections with wisdom. So, but that's not Jesus making that, that's making that comparison or that connection. That's the author. Okay. All right. Um, I guess because Jesus was surrounded by men, he didn't have a lot of wisdom around him, right? (laughs) (laughs) Um, he wasn't just surrounded by men, of course, right? There are lots of women. There are lots of women. It's just the, the 12 who get all the airtime. Yeah. Um, okay. So you, I don't know where in your sermon, but you talked about how there is a difference between knowledge. You kind of <laughs> yeah. did the top knowledge and wisdom. Yeah. Didn't Dr. Heller kind of talk about that in terms of, um, I think he talked about how just because you're familiar with things doesn't know, mean you understand it. So uh-huh. just because you, uh-huh. and I think he always referred to like the way people say, like they know the Bible, mm. like just because you're familiar with it doesn't mean you actually mm. understand. <laughs> That's what it made me think of huh. when you kind of tied yeah. the two. Um, okay. So. This whole wisdom. So do you feel like people can really learn to be wise or are some people kind of born that, you know, born that way with this, like, I don't know, heightened wisdom or I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, well, I would say that the wisdom tradition clearly makes the argument that it's something you can learn okay. and that not only should, 
not only can you learn it, that you should pursue it. Uh, and, you know, I, part of – there's a thing there, I think, where the longer you live, the more experiences you have, the more the more you listen and the less you talk, <laughs> the mm-hmm. more – um, the more wise or intuitive you become about things. Um, but it was like, it was, a, it's just very clearly in the tradition and woman wisdom herself in the passage we read says like, just listen to me, mm. stop thinking you got it all figured out and learn. Yeah. And I think that's, a, um, like, that's a good reminder for everybody. Mm-hmm. Part of, um, the whole relationship between Jesus and the disciples I mean, there were some things that he was teaching them, like in terms of knowledge, but that was much more of a um, kind of a one role that Jesus plays is kind of a sage passing on wisdom about how to live life in accordance with God's will, as opposed to, okay, turn your Bible and here's (laughs) Isaiah and this is what this means. He didn't really do a whole lot of that. Yeah. He did more of the practical, how do you live um, and embody these two great commandments. So I definitely think it's something you can learn. Okay. I didn't prep you on this, but are there, when you think of like people that are wise, like that you personally know, hmm. do you have some people that you think of? Um, I mean, I would definitely say that there's a connection between, um, or maybe not a connection. There's probably a correlation between um, like longevity and mm-hmm. wisdom. So grandparents for sure. I think of my grandparents and great grandparents, none of whom had college degrees, let alone advanced degrees, but who were extremely wise about how to live and how you should relate to your uh, other people and all that. Um, Yoda. (laughs) Okay. Like he can't even talk right. So (laughs) I don't know. Again, doesn't have to be fancy (laughs) pants learning. He can't even talk right. Yeah. (laughs) But wise he is. (laughs) That's good. I don't know what you're talking about. That's just funny. Okay. Yoda, okay. Like in the movies. Who else would you? And I mean, then, kind of the Kung Fu master. Mm. Oh, I'm trying to think. Morpheus. Oh, you're going Matrix on me. Mm-hmm. Huh. I don't think I've actually ever seen The Matrix. Oh, really? My We're going to have to because the new one's coming out. I know. I don't know. Um, what always, when I think of why, like, I've always, um, because I did youth ministry like you did, mm-hmm. like, there's always a few students that I'm like, man. You're really wise. Yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> and I always try to pay attention to them. Like, how did, how did you get that way mm-hmm. <laughs> when you're only like 15? But even did like my experience with those kind of kids is that they were kind of old souls. Yes. So yeah. they're like, there's a, a maturity that comes with wisdom that I suppose is not directly necessarily correlated to age. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when we say somebody is an old soul, cause there's definitely, there are definitely those people, mm-hmm. um, I think we probably, I don't know. I think we, I think we naturally draw a connection between the, between that two, between the longer you've lived and the more you've seen and the wiser you are about the world, regardless of what your, your book learning is, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Okay. Um, obviously you love the Bible and mm-hmm. you go to it for a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Um, who are some other writers or influences that you read or listen to? And I kind of want to ask, was there a time that you, ever felt nervous or shame to, to go outside the Bible to find wisdom? Oh, I don't know. Uh, yeah, no, not at all. No, okay. I think, um, I think I'm going to make this, I'm going to make a biblical argument here. Okay. <laughs> um, in John three, Jesus says the, the spirit blows where it will. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't get to decide where the spirit shows up. So like theologically for me, the Holy spirit 
is free to show up in whatever culture and avenue the Holy Spirit wants to. It doesn't have to just be in the Bible. So, um, you know, I've always been drawn to uh, kind of Eastern philosophy. Like we saw um, Shang-Chi over the weekend. Have okay. you seen that? Uh-uh. I'm, I'm sure I'm butchering the pronunciation. Um, but it's a, it's a, mar- it's in the Marvel Cinematic Universe and it's, um, it's a Chinese character. And, um, like there's, like anytime you get into a movie that involves martial arts or Eastern philosophy at all, that seems like, that feels like the wisdom tradition to me, you know? Okay. So there's a book that I read that I think I've probably talked about on the podcast at some point or another called The Spirituality of Imperfection that draws on the wisdom of certainly Christianity, but also like Sufism and Buddhism and just all kinds, just a broad range of philosophies and, and theologies. And I think that uh, the Holy Spirit is free to work in all of that. I think that the divine can show up in places where maybe, you know, a Methodist from Texas wouldn't necessarily expect it. Um, and so some of these stories, like in the spirituality of imperfection, that illustrate particular points or particular values that don't necessarily quote Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount, are still very relevant, I think, and helpful um, in teaching us wisdom. Yeah. Um, again, I because I don't know much about the Catholic Church, but does a Catholic Church ever? I mean, do they just read their own people, or like, I don't know. I just don't know much about it. Yeah. So there's a fair amount of study of the saints, and you know, my favorite saints, Saint Francis. I've talked mm-hmm. about Saint Francis, and the interesting thing about Francis is he was not. A highly educated theologian. He, right. was, he wasn't Thomas Aquinas or Augustine. Yeah. And yet he embodied this wisdom, uh, this wise way of showing up in the world and living in the world that drew all kinds of people to him. Uh, Francis went and visited the um, Muslim Sultan uh, during the Crusades to try and stop the Crusades and yeah. wasn't killed. Like, uh, And so uh, he embodied this distinction between knowledge and wisdom really, really well. Um, but for the most part, you Catholics read their own stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I would just, I, I would say, and maybe Ashley would maybe agree. I think when you're kind of steeped in the evangelical, like don't, don't read anything that's like outside this, you know, you yeah. can't find wisdom. You can't find learning. You can't find, mm-hmm. I mean, probably bold to say you can't find God and mm-hmm. those because, yeah. and it's been really freeing being Methodist because we, you know, being a big tent church, I think we, we want to look and it's, it's amazing to be able to read things through this lens, whether it's Wesley or whatever and find like, I don't know, I'm not as scared to dive into like reading even the book of joy. Yeah, yeah. I was just thinking about the book of joy. Mm-hmm. Was like, well, this is good. Yeah. And it doesn't, I don't feel like I'm <laughs> I being feel blasphemy like or anything. It's like this theme of the ability to contaminate your wisdom mm-hmm. in evangelicalism yeah which is interesting like it, this idea that once you read something you can't undo it you can't remove mm-hmm. that from mm-hmm. your mind so only read people who are sanctioned by you know mm-hmm. whoever's standing in front of you at the time probably telling right. you what books to read mm-hmm. but yeah it's interesting like that that would change your whole some you know that's gonna mm-hmm. disable you in some way if you read yeah. eastern wisdom or you know holistic wisdom or whatever which i only think it just adds to mm-hmm what you, uh-huh. I don't know. Yeah. I would... yeah. So two things on that. Cause I was thinking about the book of joy when you were talking okay. and, um, there, there's a lot that I admire about the Dalai Lama. There's nothing that it makes me want to be a Buddhist mm-hmm. monk. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that doesn't mean that he's not incredibly wise. Right. And you know, all of his teachings about compassion and ways to, to center yourself. I mean, that's, there's something to be found there. 
And I believe the Holy Spirit's working in his life. That's, I mean, I, I would argue the Bible tells me that. Mm-hmm. Um, we, when I was at SMU, so this was, uh, relatively late in seminary, there was, um, like a Zen master who came and did a, I may have talked about this before. He came and talked, uh, did a talk about Zen meditation or something. And, um, and it's, you know, they're mostly Christians there and it was on the SMU campus, not the Perkins campus. So it wasn't all like seminary students or whatever, but, um, somebody asked him how long you should meditate every day. And have I told you the story? Mm-mm. And he said, nine minutes. That's very precise. And he's like, well, you Westerners don't have very long attention spans. So if you could commit to nine minutes <laughs> every day, that'd change your life. So I would say, um, the majority of my meditation over the years has been nine minutes. Hmm. But now I do it in a systematic way. Like I, I do the first three minutes, um, repeating the Jesus prayer, which is from Eastern Orthodoxy. So Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on me, center. That's the, the Jesus prayer. And you just say, it's like a mantra. You say it over okay. and over again. So I do three minutes on that, on the insight timer. And then my bell rings. And then I do this, this, uh, body scan that, uh, this Zen master taught where you kind of, picture like you just think at the top of your head and you, mm-hmm. like you just go top from the top of your head down to the bottom of your toes and try to just uh, like you visualize all of your stress and stuff okay. melting to the bot to the ground and it works for me okay and then the last three minutes you're sitting in silence i could not sit in silence more than three minutes for very long Mm-mm. so that uh, that's an example of specific wisdom that works for me that i found in a different tradition okay um, when you do read things from other traditions, are there any like key components of Methodist theology that you kind of always lay over it or that you kind of keep in perspective? Um, well, so, uh, I mean, the thing about Methodist theology is that it's, it starts and ends with grace and in the middle mm-hmm. is all about grace. So I would say if something, if I'm reading something that is inconsistent with a message, uh, about the unconditional love of God, then I kind of dismiss it. Okay. Which, by the way, eliminates a fair amount of evangelical <laughs> thought. I mean, for me, mm-hmm. not to be super judgmental about mm-hmm. that, but just put that out there. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, my experience though is that if your if your assumption is that the Holy Spirit can work wherever, um, and that God loves all of creation, and that God loves you unconditionally and always will, then you know, my own, my experience is that you, you can read other things without, um, like this kind of nagging fear mm-hmm. <laughs> about it changing you or whatever. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. So Proverbs is a majority, I think, you know, I think this is what you said. So, you know, <laughs> interrupt me if not that Proverbs is a majority, uh, that life is basic life choices. Yeah, Explain so the wisdom, like the wisdom tradition in general lays out this binary choice. So you're either wise or either foolish. If you're wise, you're righteous. If you're foolish, you're wicked. Okay. <laughs> it's very straightforward. Mm-hmm. And um, if you are foolish, if you're a scoffer, a scoffer at knowledge and wisdom, then um, you're going to get your just desserts kind of thing. And here's the ironic thing about that. <laughs> the book of Job is in the wisdom tradition. Yeah. And the book of Job makes the opposite argument of mm-hmm. that almost, or at least turns that assumption on its head yeah. that if you do good, you get good, you do bad, you get bad. That's the, the, in Roy Heller's class, we learned this, the deuteronomistic theology, right? That, um, the righteous are always rewarded and the, um, wicked are always punished. Now we believe that 
kind of eschatologically, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? That 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 is ultimately true. Mm-hmm. But in the ancient world, it was thought to be true in this life. Of course, Job has the opposite experience, and Job's also in the wisdom tradition. So what I this is what I love about the Bible. <laughs> like you get in the same tradition, and I think they're not back to back, but they're pretty close. It's Job and then Psalms and then is that right? Yeah, Job and then Psalms and then Proverbs. That whole section gives you some pretty different, uh, maybe not worldviews, but draws some pretty different theological conclusions. And yet it's all there hanging together in the same, not just in the same book and not just in the same Testament, Old Testament, mm-hmm. but in the same tradition within the same book. Yeah. Which I think is kind of kind of awesome. Mm-hmm. I, ta- I started my Genesis class last night or yesterday afternoon and talked about how Methodists read the Bible. It's tradition. So um, we believe that our theological task, that our doctrine, our theology is uh, revealed in Scripture, illumined by tradition, tested by reason, and vivified in personal experience. We don't just open the Bible and say, this is all we need. Me, Jesus, is my Bible. That's all I need. Mm-hmm. That's not the Methodist approach. And, the, and what I was talking about yesterday in Bible study was we can't believe that <laughs> because if you open up the first two chapters of the book, Genesis 1 and 2, two entirely different stories about the same ultimate thing, creation. But we don't have to make those two things harmonize because we that's not the way we read the Bible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think sometimes where people get in trouble, they try the Bible has to act in a certain way and it has to read a certain way. And when it doesn't, it's very confusing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so kind of learning to live with that tension of things. But okay, I always like how you say, but what's, what's the greater story what is the actual lesson like right. as you take all of that what is coming forth what what rises to the top yeah yeah um, like what's the theological truth that mm-hmm. this thing is trying to tell me yeah. and so for the wisdom tradition i mean i think it, i think i don't think any of us would argue that actions have consequences that life ultimately is a whole a whole bunch of choices mm-hmm. and that the the way to live a righteous life is to make the right choices i mean we all believe that it's just that in the in the wisdom tradition certainly in proverbs it's uh it's just very stark and it's very binary. Mm-hmm. So when you ask me if I like Proverbs, um, like, uh, I, yes, I do. But that kind of binary thinking is, I don't, like, it's not always healthy, mm-hmm. but, but the purpose of this book is to encourage people to choose the, the good, which that's always a good thing. And I mean, that's always a good lesson. Right. And so what is choosing the good? What's the good thing? Yeah, well, it depends on the what mm-hmm. the on what's before us, mm-hmm. right? So, um, do should we choose to learn more about God? Of course, should we choose to be in community? Absolutely. Should we seek God's will for our life? Hundred percent. Does that look different for you, me, and Ashley? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, does God want us to be generous and compassionate? Uh, yes, one hundred percent of the time. <laughs> that we can nuance that by circumstance, um, but. They, that ultimate ethos is absolutely vital. And I think, so when woman wisdom in, in the first chapter is saying, come like, oh, I mean, it's a great, when she says at the beginning, she opens up her monologue this way. How long, oh, simple ones. And she's not, <laughs> she's not talking about tis the gift to be simple, tis the gift to be free. She's saying simpletons, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? Like <laughs> if you don't even want to try to be wise, you're on your own is what she says, basically, which is kind of harsh. <laughs> I made that point in the sermon. Yeah. But, you know, as, as Christians, coming from a kind of grace-based, not kind of, coming from a grace-based theology, that sounds a little harsh. We know God wouldn't abandon us ever like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's trying to make a point that 
you should choose the path that makes you wise. You should choose, you should put yourself in a position to continue to grow in your faith, which means growing in love and knowledge, knowledge and love of God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, maybe I should say one of those lines to like Andy every morning before I drop her off to kindergarten. Oh, like, choose wisely. <laughs> like that knowledge, you better want it. Don't be a fool. Are you, are you, would fool. you say this to her? I will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when panic strikes you. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Put that on her door. A tattoo that on her. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but is there like, speaking of kids, is there some like, obviously there's a lot of wisdom in the Bible. Are there some key things that you really teach your boys? Like, hey, pursue this. Live. This. Are there any like. Yeah. Love God, love neighbor. I mean, that's we, we talk yeah. a fair amount about that. Yeah. And I do love how, I mean. <laughs> It's not just the company line. I, re- I really do love that Jesus is pretty straightforward about that. Mm-hmm. So what does it look like to love your neighbor? What does it look like to, to love God? Mm-hmm. And I, there, there aren't too many days that go by in our house where we don't thank Jesus or something, which is a way of staying connected mm-hmm. and kind of reaffirming the importance of him as the, yes, Savior, but also teacher and guide. Yeah. No, that's good. Okay. Toward the end of your sermon, you um, quoted, I think, Something from the Sermon of Mount, Sermon on the Mount. Yeah, yeah. Um, Jesus brought up. He brings it in that. Yeah. So talk about that. I thought that was an interesting point. So, um, kind of behind the scenes, like homiletically. Yeah. I, I felt mm-hmm. like we were. I didn't want to. Like I wanted to make it a practical application to the gospel, and um, you can only do that in so many ways with the wisdom tradition, and certainly this passage from wisdom. I mean, from woman wisdom. So I quoted the part where he says, "The gate is wide and the road is easy that leads to destruction, and there are many who take it." I mean, that's a very wisdom tradition way of looking mm-hmm. at the world, like that actions have consequences. And so what I said was that woman wisdom would say that the people who take that easy road are the scoffers and the fools. And then I said to the congregation, like, but we all know better <laughs> or we wouldn't be here. Mm-hmm. And so it's a good reminder for us to to continue to grow in wisdom. And the, the point that we were making in the whole service was one of the ways we do that is by being part of Sunday school and small groups, mm-hmm. you know have to be part of one to be wise, but it is a really important way uh, that we offer for people to grow. So, uh, so you should take it from here. So how did yesterday go on, on campus? Uh, I think it went really well. We had uh, quite a bit of interest. I know each class kind of um, had a couple of visitors or some people I think popped in or like at least glanced in. And yeah. then I think it is nerve wracking. I'm going to, it's, it's nerve wracking to walk into a class right. when you're by yourself. So I, I, I totally understand. Uh, but we started a new class and that went really well. So I love connecting, bringing new people together. We had some more people sign up for the classes. I had some people email, email me before Sunday, like, Hey, which class should I check out? Um, and so I'm feeling really, really optimistic mm-hmm. and excited for this, this year. Cause we've got some new people joining even ongoing classes, which I know is sometimes the hardest to jump into when <laughs> right. you're like, Oh, these people have been together for 12 years. Right. Will I be accepted? And people are coming in and being embraced. And so I hope that encourages people. And then talk about Paige, Paige's new gig. Yeah. So Paige, Christian, uh, she's been doing care ministries, but now she's going to be our off-campus pastor, which means um, she'll be your person, if you're listening online, that she'll be engaging with you, asking questions, um, getting prayer requests. Um, She's also going to be just more in the community. She's got this uh, Christ United Neighbors. And so um, throughout different neighborhoods in the mm-hmm. Plano area, um, you might be able to get connected with people that come to church or just your other neighbors. And then she'll be in coffee shops and community and she'll be doing an online class mm-hmm. just for our online people in October. Yeah. Cause we do have people who are like right now about 50% of our congregations worshiping online. Mm-hmm. 
And some of that is like convenience or circumstance. So normally they're on campus, but this particular Sunday they're not for whatever reason. Uh, some of it is COVID related. Some mm-hmm. of it is distance related. Yeah. And so she'll be able to put together groups that are interested who mm-hmm. will meet online via Zoom or whatever. Um, and that's a way, like the point that I made in the sermon is that the Judeo-Christian tradition has never been about growth and isolation ever. Mm-hmm. Even monks live together. Mm-hmm. I mean, they spend a lot of time in like solitary time or silent time. But even when they were living in the desert, they lived in caves in proximity to one another and they would get together from time to time. It's always been a community project. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, so the list you sent me, we have now 21 groups that meet on campus every Sunday morning. That doesn't count the... Uh, other groups that meet throughout the week. There are 700 people in, that are members of those groups. Mm-hmm. Um, that doesn't mean 700 people are in class every Sunday, but it, yeah. again, life circumstance, whatever. Um, that's the number of people who are connected to those classes. And I mean, we're, I guess I haven't done the math lately, but we're uh, more than half of the people who are in worship on Sunday are in some kind of a class, mm-hmm. which is really good. Yeah. So it, it was, it was a good day to celebrate that. Yeah. And we're not, you know, I think our biggest goal, you and I have talked about this, is we would love for everyone to be involved in some sort of discipleship. Yeah. Maybe in every Sunday, Sunday school is not your thing, but signing up for a six-week class, yep. some way to get connected and to to take that, growing a little bit more, investing just a little bit more um, of your time or just, you know, asking questions and mm-hmm. reading is, I think, is really, really good yeah, yeah. for all of us. So, uh, I don't know. I'm sure when the next time we'll preach on Proverbs, we probably be many, many Sundays from now, uh-huh. <laughs> but it was fun to do it this week. Yeah, it was a good one next week. So this weekend, you and I are both out of town. We are both out of town. You're going to be where Galveston, Galveston doing a wedding, doing a wedding. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be at camp Bible with my youngest, uh, at Bridgeport camp conference center. So, uh, Stephanie's going to be preaching in the sanctuary and she's going to be preaching about Serving others, which mm-hmm. is your area. Yep. So next week it'll be you and Stephanie talking about her her sermon. I'm not even sure what her text is, actually. I don't know. I'm sure it'll be good because Stephanie's great. So yeah. is that everything? I think that's everything. I think we've covered all that there is to talk about. Of all the wisdom. All the, <laughs> we have shared all the wisdom that we have in these 30 minutes. It's, it's all. That's all I got. <laughs> awesome. All right, friends. Well, we are uh, glad that you spent some more time with us this week. Hope you have a terrific coming week, and we'll be back next week with another episode of Offscript. God bless. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Offscript. It was hosted by Reverend Chris Dowd and Reverend Reagan Gilland. You can visit cumc.com backslash podcasts in order to see all of the series we have available. Like, subscribe, and follow us so that you don't miss a single episode. Thank you for supporting us. Have a great week.